Tonight we are in Genesis chapter 36. If you need a Bible, we have ushers that can bring one to you. We are in Genesis chapter 36, and, and I'm, I'm, as usual, you know, I kind of do what I want to do, right? They tell me to teach certain things, and so they assigned me Genesis 36, and uh, I read Genesis 36, and I told my son that I'm teaching Genesis 36 and 37, because Genesis 36 is the genealogical record of Esau, and um, I, now listen, I know there's pastors who can squeeze spiritual truths out of places. I once knew, I knew of a man uh, who, who actually preached on a comma. That was uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He preached on whether a comma should have been in that place or not. He did a whole sermon on a comma. But I am not Martin Lloyd-Jones. <laughs> and uh, I, I uh, the material is a little bit it is what it is. It's the Word of God, right? And there's a reason for it to be there, and maybe we'll hit on that reason. But I wanted a little bit of meat to be able to give to you guys tonight, too. So we're jumping also to 37. So we'll be covering 36 and 37 tonight. But first of all, we come to 36, and, and I think the point of the record here of Esau's genealogy is to give background on some of the nations and the, the groups that interacted with the Israelites through the years, and we're going to see that, and we're going to see that it even leads into the New Testament with one particular character we'll talk about later. So chapter one, or chapter 36, verse one, <clears throat> now this is the genealogy of Esau, who is Edom, and you're going to see that who is Edom uh, over and over, because he joined with a group and became the Edomites. They became connected to the Edomites, and and uh, there were the, these other groups that were with him, and you'll see some of the names here. And Esau took his wives from the daughters of Canaan. So remember, the Canaanites were in the land, and the people of Israel were coming into the land. So he chose from, in essence, the heathens. He chose wives from them. So he intermingled the marriages. And Ada, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and Ahimelab, the daughter of Anna, the daughter of Zibion, the Hivite, and, and Basemath. I always think of baseball when I see that, Basemath. I think base path, like that's what comes to my mind. But anyway, maybe, they, maybe it's a precursor to baseball. Uh, Ishmael's daughter, uh, sister of Nebajoth, or Nebahoth. And now Ada was, Ada bore Eliphaz, uh, so Esau, uh, and, and uh, to Korah, excuse me, and these were the sons of Esau who were born to him in the land of Canaan. Then Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, and all the persons of his household, his cattle and all his animals and all his goods, which he had gained in the land of Canaan, and went to the country far from the presence of his brother Jacob. You remember that he had been chasing Jacob down, and he connected with Jacob, and Jacob thought he was coming to kill him, and in essence he came to reconcile with him. And it was a beautiful thing that that happened. Uh, and of course, he wanted to continue on with Jacob and be with Jacob, and Jacob was like, uh, no, I'm good. <laughs> and uh, Jacob didn't want to take anything from Esau. He, he felt like, let's just move on in life, and so they did. For their possessions, Jacob and Esau's possessions, were too great for them to dwell together, and the land where they were strangers could not support them because of their livestock. So you know, here there's practical reasons, too. It reminds you a little bit of the story of Abraham and Lot. 
Remember when they were dwelling together and their, their, their servants were fighting with one another over the water rights and various things. And you know, they said, we, you're, too, you're too big for us. And Abraham said to Lot, you choose. And, and he let cho- Lot choose the most beautiful land and Lot went to the area of Sodom and Gomorrah, which was a, a beautiful plain of Jordan at that time. And he was like, you, know, you go there and wherever you go, I'll go the other way. Because Abraham, unlike Lot, Abraham trusted in what God would give him, not in what his eyes could see. And that's a really important point as you begin to see this because Esau is much like Lot in this. Esau is just trusting in and he's, he's kind of moving in the ways of the flesh, the ways of the world, which, you know, if you don't know the Lord, if you're not connected to the Lord, well, what are you going to do? You're going to do whatever seems right in your own eyes. You're going to do whatever you, can, you need to do to take care of your family, to move forward. And, and that's, of course, what people do. Um, and so Esau dwelt in Mount Seir, and Esau is Edom. And again, we'll talk about that a little more. Esau's line here, it's from the Horites, Ishmael and the Canaanites mingled together to form this group called the Edomites because they're in the land of Edom. And by the way, Edom means red, and it's believed when you look at Esau's name, his name also means red, so he became the red man. You know, he's kind of the, these are the red men kind of thing. And their hair, his hair was red. So, um, and so he dwells in this area where, uh, and he, he went in and he went to war and battled and, and, and wiped some people out there. And so this chapter, it's somewhat complicated because we don't really, again, we don't see all of it. It doesn't give us all the story here. Um, but there's, there's a couple elements that are important here that we see that was the Canaanites and Esau was connected with Edom, and then also um, the genealogy of Esau, the father of the Edomites in Mount Seir, we see in verse 9, it begins to talk about, and these were the names of his sons, and so it gives us this list of names, they don't really mean a lot to us, Eliphaz, and, and Ad, the, uh, uh, the son of Ada, the wife of Esau, Raul, the son of Basemath, again, it's repeating some of this, the sons of Eliphaz were Teman, uh, Omar, Zepho, Groucho, no, sorry, uh, <laughs> uh, sorry, you got to bring a little levity into these things, Gadam and Kenna, and Timnah was a concubine of Eliphaz, Esau's son, and she bore Amalek of Eliphaz. Now, you might remember, you Bible students might remember the name Amalek, the Amalekites. The Amalekites become a real problem to Israel. And uh, they, they, they become uh, ones that they have to battle against. And some of the giants came from the Amalekites. So um, this is the grandson of e- Esau. And he becomes a great enemy to the kingdom. And so then the sons of Ada, Esau's wife, these were the sons, Reuel, Nahath, Zerah, Shammah, uh, Mizah. And these were the sons of Basemath, Esau's wife. They were the sons of Aholobama, um, Esau's wife, the daughter of Anna, the daughter of Zibion, the son she bore to Esau, Jehush, Jalam, and Korah. And these were the chiefs of the sons of Esau, the sons of Eliphaz. The firstborn of Esau were Chief Teman and Chief Omar and Chief Zepho and Chief Kenna and Chief Korah and Chief Gatam and Chief Amalek. And these were the chiefs of Eliphaz, 
and they were the sons of Ada. Now, when it says chiefs, it means they're tribal leaders. It's, they're, they're like princes over categories. It's sort of maybe we might think of it as governors of regions. They, they lived tribal lives in these days. So, and these were the sons of Esau's son, Chief Naboth, Chief Zerah, Chief Shammah, Chief Mizah, and these were the chiefs of Rewal in the land of Eden, and these were the sons of Basemath, Esau's wife, and these were the sons of Ahiloboma. I got it that time. Esau's wife, Chief Jewish, Jeush, Chief Jalam, Chief Korah, and these were the chiefs who descended from Elhaboma, and Esau's wife, the daughter of Anna. And these were the sons of Esau, who is Edom, and they were their chiefs. Now, the point of this, I think, is to point out that Esau became a chief of chiefs. Like, these are all his sons, and they all become leaders all over this land. And Esau is above all of them. And you might remember that when the blessing was being given and the birthright is being given by Jacob to his sons, and you remember that it was stolen from Esau, in a sense, Esau believes it was stolen from him, although we know that Jacob would have received the blessing anyway. It's just that Jacob and his mother manipulated to get the blessing. And you remember that story, how they went into uh, Isaac, and they, he dressed like Esau, and he smelled like Esau, and he did, but he didn't talk like Esau. And Isaac was like, well, you smell like him, and you feel like him, and you, you know, he had goat hair on him and such. And, uh, and all that, that went on with that. Um, he, he went there that way to do that. And Esau felt like he was ripped off. And then he came in later and he said, oh, Father, don't you have a blessing for me? To me also, please. And he's like weeping and broken. And Jacob did, or excuse me, Isaac did give him a blessing. And this is the fulfillment. He said, he's, you, you will still be a leader of, of, of men and overseer of nations. And so uh, this is the fulfillment of that we see. It's, a, it's really a picture of Esau as an overlord over all these lands. And so verse 20, these were the sons of Seir, the Horite who inhabited the land, Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Anna, Dishon, Ezer, and, Dish, and Dishon. So Dishon and Dishan. So those are some names. You know, if you know anybody's pregnant, wants to have a baby, pick some names out of here. Anyway... <laughs> These were the chiefs of the Horites, the chiefs of Seir, the land of Eden. And the sons of Lotan were Hori and Heman. Lotan's sister was Timnah. And these were the sons of Shobal, Alval, Mahath, Ebal, Shifo, and Oman. And these were the sons of, of Zibion, both Asia and Anna. And this was the Anna who found the water in the wilderness as he pastured the donkeys of his father, Zibion. By the way, we have no idea what that's referring to. <laughs> so there's no cross-reference. These were the children of Anna, Dishon, and Ahaloboma, the daughter of Anna. And these were the sons of Dishon, Hemdan, Eshdan, Ithran, and Cheran. And these were the sons of Ezar, Bilhan, Zavan, Akon, and these are the sons of Dishon, Uz, and finally an easy one, Uz, and, uh, and Aran. And these are the chiefs of Horan, the chief, chief Lotan, chief Shobal, chief Zibion, chief Anna, uh, chief Dishon, chief Ezer, and chief Dishan. And these were the chiefs of the Horites according to their chiefs in the land 
of Seir. You know, it, it just giving you all this detail, these names, and I don't know, you know, I, we can all have, ask the Lord when we get to heaven, like, what was the point in us reading those names on Wednesday night in June of 2022? And these were the kings who reigned in the land of Eden before Edom before he reigned over the children of Israel. Bela, the son of Beor, reigned in Edom, and the name of his city was Dinahabah. And then, and when Bela died, Jobab, the son of Zerah of Basra, reigned in his place. And when Jobab died, Husham, of the land of the Temanites, reigned in his place. And when Husham died, Hadad, the son of Bedad, uh, <laughs> who attacked, sorry, uh, Midian in the field of Moab and reigned in his place. And the name of the city was Aveth. And when Hadad died, Shema of Mesrechah reigned in his place. And when Shamla died, Saul of Rehoboth by the river reigned in his place. And when Saul died, Baal Hanan, the son of Akbor, reigned in his place. And, you know, we start seeing these names with Baal connected to them. You, you begin to wonder, and, and it makes you think of Baal, the, the god Baal, uh, which was a false god. And so it seems as though they're, they're practicing idolatry, and that's what's going on here with these names being connected to this. So you have Baal Hanan, the son of Akbar. He died, and, and Hadar reigned in his place, and the name of the city was Pau, and his wife's name was Mehetebel, the daughter of Matred, the daughter of Mezahab. And so these were the names of the chiefs of Esau according to their families and their places by their names, Chief Timnah, Chief Avla, Alva, Chief Jetheth, uh, Chief Ahalamoba, uh, Chief Ella, Chief Mitpinon, Chief Kenna, Chief Teman, Chief Mizbah, Chief Magdiel, Chief Iram. And these were the chiefs of Edom according to the dwelling places in the land of their possession. Esau, Esau was the father of the Edomites. So this is pretty much the end of our story on Esau. And one interesting thing, maybe we'll do a Bible question here. Who can think of someone in the New Testament who was an Edomite? Anybody know who an Edomite might have been in the New Testament? It's a little uh, Bible quiz. You get bonus points for this. If you, uh, if you get it, we'll give, you, uh, we'll give you a free bottle of water. There you go. Bonus points. Anybody? Herod. No. Yes. Herod. <laughs> Herod who slaughtered the innocents. That's correct. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, clap for these. That's a pretty obscure question. Like, who is the, who's the Edomite in the New Testament? Anyway, so let's move on to chapter 37. <laughs> You'll get it after. What do you want it right now? It's demanding, fellow. And, and I didn't hear you say it. I heard your wife say it. Okay. So, but, uh, listen, she'll get the water. You relax. <laughs> Tough crowd. So, we move on to chapter 37. Now, a little bit of background again on Jacob. I want to go backwards a little bit with this because remember Jacob, he, he and Esau, they, they were twins. They came out. Esau came out first. He's the older. Steals the birthright, as we mentioned, and the blessing of his older brother, but God would have given him. And, and, and remember the family that he has. He's got four women in his life. Leah was the first, 
but he didn't know Leah was going to be the first. He thought Rachel would be the first, and he woke up to Leah, on the, Leah in the morning and went, ah! Uh, and, uh, and then he realized, wait a minute, uh, and he worked for seven more years for, for Rachel, and then, of course, he ended up with two concubines, which were also called his wife. So he has four women in his life. He's got 12 sons from those four women and some daughters. We don't know how many. But you, again, we've mentioned this before, but you think about this, what a dysfunctional family. If you think you came from a dysfunctional family, how many of you have four mothers and, and 12 brothers from different mothers? And, uh, you, know, you, know, you know, that thing, you're, the, you're, a, you're, you're my brother from another mother? They could actually say that to each other. <laughs> um, and, and they had all these, these different things going on and the dynamics. Imagine the family dynamics going on here. And we even see that they fight over getting to be with Jacob, you know, over the, over the mandrakes and, and the various things that go on in their family. Um, and and Jacob, he, Jacob had been a pretty conniving fellow, we know. He had been very manipulative. But then something happened in chapter 32, we read about what happened with Jacob in verse 22. It starts there where Jacob meets the angel of the Lord. And he, he had two experiences with God that were radical. I mean, a couple different times when angels appeared and he knew them, but, but the one was at the ladder when he sees the ladder going up and down and descending up and down from heaven. And that was powerful for him. That was a conversion moment for him. But, you know, there's always the moment of conversion for people. There's the time you come to Christ, and there's, that's the justification. You've been, you've been saved from your old life. But then there's, of course, the process of sanctification that we're all going through. And Jacob had a hard sanctification process. Jacob was not immediately transformed into this powerful, dynamic believer. He was still manipulating. He, he, he met his match in his Uncle Laban, but he manipulated Uncle Laban too, and he was playing that game the whole time. And, and yet down the road here, he's, 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 now Esau has come after him. He's gotten all kinds of problems. He's had Laban who's tried to manipulate him. He's had Esau chasing him down. He's between a rock and a hard place, literally. He's at the brook Jabbok, and the angel of the Lord appears. Now, I, when I hear it, when I think of that story, I think to myself, imagine Jacob seeing the angel of the Lord. Now, if you or I saw the angel of the Lord, what would we do? I don't know about you. I'd fall on my face. I'd give up really easy, right? So what does Jacob do? Come on. Bring it on. Let's go. And he, he gets, he, he wrestles with him. He wrestles with God. The Bible says, and he wrestled with God and prevailed. Now, that doesn't mean he beat God. But it does mean he won. He won because ultimately God took him to a place of submission. You've heard me say it many times before if you've been around for a while. We don't win by winning. We win by losing. We win by submission. The more you and I yield our life to God, the more we become usable in God's hands, the more God changes us and molds us into his image, and we see a different Jacob in his latter years. We see a Jacob who's softer, and, that's, and I'm leading to this story because this is going to become and get into the story of Joseph. And so Jacob had gone through this major change in life, wrestling with God, and he was a broken man. In fact, he limped. You remember that when God finished the wrestling match, Jacob walked away, and he limped for the rest of his life. 
Every step that Jacob took for the rest of his life, all he could remember is, God prevailed over me, and I've submitted. I'm, I'm yielded to God. Every step, I'm yielded to God. Every step, I'm yielded to God. Every step for the rest of his days. His hip was out of socket. And so he was now a broken man. And he definitely, in this part of the story, as we get on in the rest of Genesis, he's a more compassionate man. He's more dependent on God. And he's getting older. His children are grown. His, his, all the men, they're all men now. Jacob, or Joseph, is 17 years old. Benjamin's still a baby. And they, but that's it. The rest of them are up, they're all older than that. And we come now to this 13, the next 13 chapters of the book of Genesis are going to be about Joseph. And you think, why so much dedicated to this man, Joseph? In fact, the first, it says here, Jacob dwelt in the land, verse 37, verse 1, and his father was a stranger in the land. And this is the story of Jacob, Joseph being 17 years old. It's interesting that it calls it the story of Jacob, and then, then the Bible goes on and talks about Joseph. The whole story is about Joseph going on. And we come to Joseph, and I look at this story, and for me, this is one of the greatest sections of the Bible, is this 13 chapters of Joseph. And the reason, you know, I think, I think to myself, Moses, who's the author of the book of Genesis, you wonder why did Moses, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but why did he dedicate so much, so much pen, so much writing to Joseph and to this character? And I think part of the reason is because Joseph, or Moses himself, was raised by a mother, Jochebed, his mother, raised him after he was sent to the house of Pharaoh. You remember he was saved in the little, uh, little ark, the little boat. The, you know, Noah with the big ark, Moses had the little ark. And, and the little boat, the little basket that he's saved in. And that, that, that uh, uh, Pharaoh's daughter finds the baby and brings the baby in. But then who does she get to nurse the baby and take care of the baby? His mother, Jochebed. So she comes and she's part of his life. And you can imagine as she's raising and, and weaning Joseph and training Joseph, or excuse me, Moses, and giving Moses all these stories, he's, she's telling him the story of Joseph. He, in a sense, you can say, there was another fellow that, that, that had to leave his home and didn't, wasn't with his family, and his name was Joseph. And hearing that story, and he was also the bridge from the land of Canaan to Egypt and then back to Canaan. That's, that's Joseph, Joseph's life. He, he comes into, into, into Egypt, and in Egypt he flourishes. We know that story. We'll, re, we'll read all about that. It, it's an incredible story, and, and I think in many ways it would have been the most significant story to, to Moses when he even wrote it, uh, and to keep perspective of who God is, because Joseph will reveal to us who God is in such a powerful way, and the sovereign hand of God in his life and then also he points a beautiful picture, and as we go through, you'll see it, of none other than a type of the Lord Jesus Christ in such a powerful way. So let's read in Genesis 37.1. It says, And Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. And his history of, this is the history of J Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. This is not a way to make friends and influence people. You know, here's Joseph. He's, he's, uh, he sees his brothers getting in trouble, and he comes and he, 
hey, Dad, here's like a little bit of a tattletale kind of thing, you know, going on here. And sibling rivalry is a big thing, right? And so it says, now Israel, notice this, loved Joseph more than all his children. Because he was the son of his old age, also he made him a tunic of many colors. And this becomes a very famous thing. Even in the world, they have a, a play called Joseph in the multicolored, you know, whatever, coat thing. And, you know, it's, it, I don't, I've never seen it, but I'm sure it's not biblical. Anyway, <laughs> but there's a special relationship between Joseph and Jacob. Because I think that in this place, it's, like, it's almost like Jacob is more like a grandfather at this stage in his life. And I can relate to that. I can relate to, you know, I would raise my kids differently at 66 years old, almost, than I would at, at 36 years old. You know, and, and you, just, you, know, you just think differently. As you get older, you have a different, different kind of process. And there's something about a man, when you get older, you start reflecting. You're more relational. And, and I can understand this from another level, too, because my dad, my dad was, uh, was 22 years old when he came home from World War II to a two-year-old son and had no clue of how to raise a kid or be a, be a dad. And so he and my brother, who's 15 years older than me, had almost no, they really had very little relationship growing up. And, you know, then I came along 15 years later, and there were a bunch of girls between us. <laughs> and, and so, you know, now oh, here he is. And my dad poured his life into me. And I can see the difference even in my brother to this day. My brother is now 80 years old, and we talk from time to time and, and when we talk, you know, it's like when we talk about dad, it's not the same for him. He didn't have that. Because my dad, I was the son of my dad's old age, in a sense, older, you know. And I knew and I understood that. He went to every sporting event I was ever involved in. He coached my teams. And he didn't do that with my brother. Because, you know, life was going on. It's just a different time of life. And he seemed to try to make up for his failings with my brother on me. And... Uh, and I had the privilege then of leading my dad to Christ, which was a wonderful thing. Years before he died, he came to the Lord, and, and, and I led him, in, 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 I led him in, in walking with Jesus, you know, and was able to speak at his memorial, and it was a wonderful thing to see. But we know as parents that we shouldn't play favorites, right? We know this intellectually, but it's hard not to play favorites. There, there's a connection you get with certain, even with your kids, and Jacob is playing favorites. And uh, Jacob was human. And uh, I'm sure that he, he, he was much more open with Joseph than he even was with his other sons. He you know, maybe talked about what he had been like and what a scoundrel he had been in his earlier days. But how he'd had that encounter with God several times, but that main one of that wrestling match with God. And, and I'm sure jo Joseph knew that story. even explaining the four wives and all the, all the things and how he had to work for his mother and how he loved his mother and all, this, all the things we've been looking at in the book of Genesis, I'm sure Jacob shared much of those things with his son Joseph as he had such a deep relationship. And I'm sure that that contributed to the stability in Joseph's life. It contributed, I'm sure, to the fact that Joseph would stand when he was faced with trials, that he would be able to stand because here he had a, a figure in front of him, a fatherly figure. And fathers, if you're a father in here tonight, 
Understand this. If you've got kids at home, young kids, teenage kids, whatever it may be, listen, you are an example to them one way or another. So be a good example. Be a loving father, loving parent. And moms, too, the same thing. It's so essential that you, you pour your life into them. You spend time with them, and you, you speak into their life. Because let me tell you, they're going to get stuff from somewhere. If they're not getting it from you, they're going to get life experience, and they're going to look in other places if you're not pouring into their lives. So let me exhort you tonight to do that. So he loves Joseph. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. So he had it tough. His brothers start coming down on him. And, you know, the problem with favoritism in a family is it does cause controversy and sometimes bitterness. This is not an excuse for them, but it is a fact. They're jealous, they're envious, and they hate him. Imagine having 10 older brothers that are all jealous and envious of you and hate you. That's a tough thing to live with. That's a tough thing to live under. So Joseph, he, he, you know, he, he knows the Lord's hand is in his life. And so it tells us in verse 5, Joseph had a dream and he told his brothers and they hated him even more. Well, that worked good. <laughs> they hate me, so let me tell them my dream. And he said to them, please hear the dream which I have dreamed. And there were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf rose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. Now, that's a great thing to tell guys that hate your guts. <laughs> this is not winning Joseph points. But you know, there's something in Joseph in this where you see that he's got a boldness about him. He didn't, he didn't seem to care that his brothers were mistreating him and, and hated him. He wanted to tell them, look, this is a dream. And, and I believe Joseph knew the dream was from God. I believe that he's a spiritual man, and they're not spiritual men at this point. And so he's, he's, he's saying, hey, I'm a spiritual man, and I'm a leader, and I might be your 17-year-old snot-nosed brother, you think, but let me tell you, you're going to bow down to me one day. You guys are going to bow down to me. And they hated him for it. They're like, how dare you? And it gets even worse because he tells them another dream. They say, shall you indeed reign over us, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And by the way, this is going to be used to send him on his journey to Egypt. They hate him so much, they're going to send him to Egypt. All expenses paid. <laughs> and he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, look, I've dreamed another dream. At this time, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So his father maybe is being pressured by the brothers and there's something going on there, but he's thinking, you know, there is something special about this kid. There is something special about his life, and he is different than the others. And I think God's going to use his life. But you know, envy here is something that's really an awful thing, and it will destroy people. It can destroy relationships. It's one of the works of the flesh listed in chapter 5 of Galatians. And it will eat at you and cause 
bitterness in you if you allow it to. And that's what's happening to these 10 brothers. What do you do if envy wells up in your heart? What if you find yourself being jealous of someone else and the blessing on their life? What do you do with that? Well, here's something you don't do. You don't do what these brothers are about to do. (laughs) We're told to put away the deeds of the flesh and to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, to to take on the, the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit and will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know, the flesh likes to be envious. It likes to be jealous. It likes to, to, to look at people wrongly. But the Spirit, you know, when you're walking in the Spirit, none of these things move you. They don't affect you. Someone else is blessed, and you're glad they're blessed. Someone else is experiencing spiritual experience of some kind, and you're, you're, you're excited about it. Envy, though, it's a choice. Listen, you can put it away. And maybe tonight there's somebody in this room, or more than one, or maybe a few, where you've got some jealousy in your life. You've got some envy in your life. You've got some bitterness toward people because they haven't treated you the way you would like to be treated, or, or they, they maybe have things you don't have. And so you're covetous toward them. You want what they have. Oh, look at the life they have. Look at the things they have. Look at the stuff they're, look at the car they're driving. Look at the house they live in. And so you're envious. Look at how God speaks to them. Look at how they're accepted by people. And you think, I'm not accepted like that. Listen, you need to put away that deed of the flesh and lay it down and walk in the Spirit and ask the Holy Spirit of God to purify your heart over this. He will. He'll meet you there if you repent of it and you just lay it down. These brothers didn't do this at this point. It took them years and years, over 20 plus years, that Joseph is away from them. And finally, at the end of the book, you'll see, if you're reading through Genesis, you'll see at the end of the book, they're so brokenhearted. And in fact, they can't even believe that Joseph can forgive them. They're so brokenhearted over it. And in all honesty, they're never the same. And and each one of them, I think, paid a great price in their life for those years of bitterness. And I've seen it in people's lives. And so have you. And maybe you've even had it in some areas of your life. And I want to exhort you, lay it down. Let, Let God take it. He will take it. And lay it at the foot of the cross. And realize that Jesus died for that sin specifically. I think that's the focus of this chapter, really. And then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. This is about 50 miles away from here. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said, here I am. Notice Joseph's willingness to serve. You want me to go to my brothers? All right, I'll go. Let me serve. Let me do whatever I can do. And he said to them, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and dwell and well with the flocks and bring, bring back word to me. By the way, this is one of the types of Christ he is. He goes to his brethren, right? Jesus came down from heaven, came to this earth to come to the nation of Israel initially to his brethren. And of course, he came unto his own, but his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. His family, his, his people rejected him. But millions followed him, billions, trillions even. 
Now, you might remember from previous stories that Shechem was a place where they slew the whole town of men there. So they're back in this place where, you know, their sister had been raped and there was all these things and they, they killed all the men in the town. So it seems that Jacob is concerned about them. So they have gone, they've been gone for some time. And so he sent them out to the valley of Hebron to, and he went to, che- to Shechem and a certain man found him and there he was wandering in the field, and the man asked him, saying, Who, what are you seeking? And he said, I'm seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they're feeding their flocks. And this is no doubt a divine appointment right here, by the way. And the man said, they have departed from here, and I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. By the way, the name Dothan means two cisterns, and there were cisterns in that area, two cisterns. And they saw him from afar off, even before he came near them. They conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one another, look, the dreamer is coming. By the way, you know, when, you, when a person is filled with envy and bitterness and, and, and uh, anger, there's a wickedness in a person's heart. And we are seeing this today, you guys. I don't know if you saw the story of the 50 people that were murdered in Nigeria, in a, in a church, a, guy, a gunman went in and just opened fire in a church. And we're seeing this more and more. You know, we have the thing that happened in Texas. We have what happened up in Buffalo. We have a shooting in Philadelphia, three people dead in Philadelphia. They're shooting in the streets. And it's just wickedness in the heart of people. And that's what this is. They just want to kill him because he had a dream. Let's kill the dreamer. And you realize that there are people in this world that want to kill Christians just because they're Christians. That's the fact. And it's going on in our world every single day, all over the world. Our brothers and sisters are being persecuted and murdered. And you don't hear that on CNN or Fox News or any place. You have to dig to find that stuff, by the way. And so... It's this kind of hatred. It's this kind of wickedness. It's this kind of evil. You know, evil is real, guys. People want to talk about how all all faiths are the same. We're all leading to the same place. No, we're not. There is one belief that's, that's, that's the true belief, and it's in Jesus Christ. And all others are false. Everything else is fake religion. And so... said, come therefore let us kill him and cast him into some pit and we shall say some wild beast has devoured him and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And you know, here they've got it schemed so well they even know what they're gonna tell their father. Like we'll we'll just say he got eaten by some wild beast or something and they devoured him. These brothers are evil in their heart. Evil beast of envy is driving them and they're conspiring to kill their own brother and the works of the flesh. Listen, the works of the flesh will lead to death. That's the truth. And so Reuben, when Reuben heard it, he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. Reuben thinks of a compromise, and he's, he's trying here. But he's not totally willing to stand up to the other brothers. He's not totally willing to say, hey, wait a minute, you're not killing him. He's my brother, we're bringing him home. 
So he has a plan. Let's throw them into the pit. And then when they're gone, he's going to come back, get them out of the pit, and take them back to his father. Compromise can seem like it'll work, but it's better to just stand up for what's right and wrong than to compromise. And it's clearly wrong, and it's still wrong to throw him into the pit. I mean, Reuben, he's lost his place in the family because he, remember, had sex with his father's concubine. And so he's no longer looked at as, and he's the oldest, but he's not looked at that way. He's not looked at as honored in the family. So maybe he's trying to regain position to some degree. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him, stripping him of the authority that his father had given him because this, this tunic represented the authority that God, that, that God had bestowed on Joseph from Jacob. And they, 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 they jumped him basically and likely beat him and then threw him into this pit. And they took him and cast him into the pit and the pit was empty and there was no water in it. And imagine he's, he's probably screaming and fighting, perhaps unconscious, and they're just, they don't care. Because notice what they do. And they sat down and ate a meal. This is wickedness to the max. You know, you, you're, you're mistreating your brother. You're throwing your brother into a pit. You, you've stripped him of his, of his cloak. And now you're laughing about it and having a, you know, a sandwich and a beer, so to speak. You know, that's, that's the way the world is. That's the way the heart of man. Listen, the heart of man is exceedingly wicked. Who can know it, Jeremiah said. We need to realize how much wickedness there is in the world. And even within people who can claim to some way know God. And they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm, and myrrh, and on their way to carry them down to Egypt. And so Judah said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Now, this is Judah, who is of the lineage of Christ. And he's, he's got another scheme. Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let, us, let, our hand, let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. His brothers listened. Great idea, Judah. You're of the Messianic line. Could you come up with something better than sell him off to slavery? Let's make a profit off him. Why waste throwing him in a pit? Then the Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. They're, they're negotiating right in front of Joseph, 20 pieces of silver for the life of their brother, and they'll carry this guilt for 20 years, all of them, and they got 20 pieces of silver. That's only two a piece. Two pieces of silver each. And they sold him off. And you wonder and you think how Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. And how quickly and easily Judas, Judas betrayed him. And Reuben returned to the pit. And indeed Joseph was not in the pit. So he tore his clothes. So Reuben apparently wasn't with them. And he returned to his brothers and said, the lad is no more, and I, where shall I go? So he comes back to try and get Joseph out of there. So they took Joseph's tunic. They killed a kid of goats 
and dip the tunic in blood. They're going to take this back to their father. And it's interesting that they deceive their father with the blood of a goat. You may remember, again, we mentioned it earlier, that years earlier, Jacob had deceived his father with the, with the skin of a goat. And later, you wonder whether he didn't realize, wow, things have really come around to me. And they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father. And see, we have found this. Do you know whether it's your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and said, it's my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn in pieces. Imagine this moment for Jacob. His wife probably had already died. You know, and we said Benjamin was born, so she died in childbirth. So the love of his life is gone. His father and his mother are gone. Now he thinks that Joseph, his beloved son, has been killed by a wild beast. He's going to a new place of brokenness. You know, the death of a loved one is something that we, you, can't, you can't quantify. It's so painful. I think of the death of a child. It's just such a painful thing. There's such heartache connected to it. And if any of you have experienced that, you know it better than I. And Jacob tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his waist and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, for I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. He couldn't be consoled. And these sons of Jacob have, now they're even faking mourning for the sake of their father. Jacob's mourning will never leave him in this sense until he sees his son again. And you know, Mike, I think, mentioned this this past week. It's so true. You don't get over things like this. You walk through them. And for his, in his mind, Jacob, Joseph is dead. He's gone. Think of the disciples when Jesus went to the cross and they saw, John saw him die on the cross. And the lack of, you know, think of the lack of hope they had at that point. And that there's nothing. Nothing can be done. He's gone. We lived him for three years. We saw him do all these miracles. We thought he was the Messiah. He's gone. All hope was gone. Joseph will resurrect in Jacob's eyes. Unfortunately, not for him, not as fast as three days. It'll be many years. Now, the Midianites sold him to, in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. And so we're going to hear much about Potiphar, actually more about Potiphar's wife and how she comes on to Joseph. We leave Joseph and we focus here and see that there's some lessons in this story. Envy is something that will eat you alive. And we need to repent of it. We need to turn away from it. And maybe again you're here tonight and that's something you need to deal with in your life. Or perhaps there's other things, or perhaps you haven't had that experience like Joseph or like Jacob had when he was at the brook Jabak and he wrestled with God. Maybe you're wrestling with God now. So tonight, I, you know, I want to take a couple of minutes. Mike, come on up. I want to take a couple of minutes 
And I don't want to pray for each other. I just want to take a, a couple of minutes and, and if you need prayer for anything, just to, you know, come to this place where maybe you're at that crossroads. You've come to the Brook Jabak and you feel like you're in that wrestling match with God. And all I can tell you is it's through submission that you win. Jacob was a changed man. You can be a changed man or woman. Or maybe you got that envy going on in your life and something, you know, you're just struggling with. There's a bitterness and an anger and it's, it's directed towards someone and maybe it's even directed towards someone that's dead and gone or you can't do anything about it. You can't fix it and you wish you could. But let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit can fix it. The Holy Spirit can touch your life inside and he can heal that broken heart that broken place. And you can be ministered to by the Spirit of God tonight. 